My name is Pastor Anthony. I know some of you are getting ready to sit down, but I'm going to have you stay standing because you're going to find someone you did not come with right now. We're about building community here and getting to know people and being in relationships. So if you can find someone, shake their hand, get to know their name. Appreciate that. Thank you. You guys can uh, find a seat. Man, you guys, uh, you guys got this. You guys figured it out. Before I could tell you to greet, you guys were greeting, and it was so awesome, so exciting. Hey, I know this Sunday is uh, an amazing Sunday. We got, sorry, we got water baptism service, but we've also got some other new elements in service that we're doing. So if this is your very first Sunday here, I know it's going to look a little different than our normal Sundays. Normally, we have more worship. And, uh, uh, but anyway, this morning, uh, before I get into the Word... I want to share a, a, an announcement that we're excited about. Um, and uh, those of you that have been coming to FLAG on a regular basis, you guys know that at uh, this time of year, we start to um, unfold and communicate uh, a focus area, an area of emphasis for our Christmas offering. I know, Christmas, it's around the corner. I've already seen Christmas lights going up. How many of you have already got your lights up? Some of you are like, oh, yep, they're all in the back. <laughs> Some of you, that's why they were late. Um, <laughs> they were getting their lights up. No, no, no. But uh, yeah, a Christmas offering, uh, a home of hope offering is what we're calling it this year, a Christmas blessing. So like I said, Christmas is around the corner, and each year during our Christmas season, we share a special area of emphasis or vision that God is laying on our hearts to focus on for the following year. We challenge the church each year to join us uh, with God on this journey uh, to sacrificially give a special Christmas offering above and beyond their regular tithes and offerings. We challenge each other to step out of the boat and step into what God is calling us with faith and obedience. The reason is uh, that one of our three emphasis areas here at Flag Church is that we are a missional church, meaning that we are called for the great commandment, which is to love God and love others, and the great commission, which is to go into all the world and bring the good news, but to carry that good news of hope to people that need that. So last year, God stirred our hearts in the area of our next-gen ministries to influence and impact kids, students, and our college ministry. 
Thanks to obedience and generosity, and with God's favor and blessings, we raised our set goal, and which gave us the opportunity to invest and impact. We were able to purchase and hand out a lot of those, uh, but 150 fire Bibles for our students and kids to get them into God's Word. Yeah, let's celebrate that. Our goal here is to get people into God's Word, learning what the truth is from God's Word, and this enables us to do that. We were able to give 14 scholarships to our winner retreat for empowered youth and help students uh, experience God's love and, and, and goodness. We were able to give out 32 scholarships for uh, summer camps for kids and uh, for youth ministry where life change and transformation uh, took place in our camps in uh, this summer. Pastor Eli and Alyssa were able to launch a new Bible study uh, for our youth uh, in our coffee shops where we had 22 students coming and learning how to read, learning how to journal, learning how to take notes and to spend time in God's Word and we were able to invest to make that a reality. And many of you know our uh, counterculture college ministry has been averaging anywhere between 125 to 140 students on a Tuesday night. And all of the spring semester, we've been able to feed them every Tuesday. And in the fall, we've kind of taken a shift. We're doing it once a month. But we are able to do that. And all of this was a reality because of your next-gen offering investment through our Christmas offering. Because of your obedience and extravagant generosity, uh, God is influencing and impacting our next generation. And God is using you as a conduit of change. We strongly believe that God has called us to reach the next generation. This year, God laid a new vision to add to our next generation or next gen ministries. When God started speaking this vision and missional direction, my first inclination was to hold off on next gen for this year and to focus on this new vision for 2024. But God surprised me when he said, I'm not a God of either or, but a God of both. He reminded me of the scripture that he said that he is the God that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He reminded me that he's the same God that chose to use the obedience of a kid who gave his two fish and five loaves into Jesus' hands and he worked a miracle to feed 5,000. This morning, I would like to start by introducing to you, Elizabeth Deckard, who is a part of our family here at Flag Church. The reason is she is who God is calling us to bless as a church body this Christmas season. So let me draw your attention to the screen for a short video. Hello, Flag family. Uh, welcome. I'm uh, here today with Elizabeth Deckard. Um, Elizabeth actually has been uh, coming to Flag Church since 2018 um, and uh, she has uh, been a blessing to this church. She currently serves and gives uh, her best in various areas. Um, she's also been a part of our Flag School of Ministry pursuing, um, actually she's finished her first level of uh, credentialing and um, has just felt like God has maybe placed that on her heart to serve uh, through area of, areas of ministry. And uh, we're blessed uh, to have Elizabeth a part of our church. And uh, this 
morning, um, I'd like to just uh, introduce you to Elizabeth and uh, maybe introduce you to a little bit of her story and how God has been instrumental in moving through her life um, and uh, showing his faithfulness in her life. So Elizabeth, um, with that, just tell me a little bit about uh, your childhood growing up. Um, when I was growing up, I was very creative and I really liked art and being artistic. Um, I did deal with some learning issues, mainly with reading and also speech issues, which requires speech therapy. Mm. Um, however, after I learned how to read, I became quite the bookworm. Mm. Um, I had one brother, even though he was older, we really didn't have much of a relationship together. I mainly grew up with my mother and I really didn't, I didn't have a, my biologic father was not in the picture at all, ever, but I did have a stepfather for five years. Tell me a little bit, um, growing up, what was your relationship like with um, your mom and your stepdad? It wasn't exactly healthy or ideal. Um, they didn't really think much of me and they were very loving mm. at one point in time because of their treatment and their viewpoint of me. I even wondered whether or not I was even human. As um, a teenager, um, what did, did things shift? Did things change? What did, you, what did you see? What was that relationship like? So about when I turned 14, that's when my stepfather left for another woman. Hmm. And so at that point in time, all the pain and emotions that I had to ball up because of him, because he did not like that, um, came spilling out. Mm. And I got very depressed, even to the point whether I was even wondering if I really wanted to live. And then when I was 15, I was at my grandmother's one weekend, and she had invited me to church. Mm. And it happened to be Easter that Sunday. So I went to church with her. Um, and at that point in time is when I heard the gospel really for the first time and I accepted Christ mm. into my life. That's good. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for sharing this portion of your story with us. And uh, we really appreciate uh, you being willing to uh, let God continue to use you through this season. This is part one of uh, a four part video series that we'll be unpacking in the next four weeks. Um, so we hope that you would uh, keep coming back as we unpack Elizabeth's story. But um, what we'll see in this is that God has always been faithful in her life. Today, Jesus is calling us to walk another journey uh, with and to write another chapter in Elizabeth's life. A home of hope, a Christmas blessing, gives you and me a conduit, uh, an avenue for God's blessings to flow to someone in need. Elizabeth lost her husband, Ray, in 2013, and we'll see more of that next week. Since then, she has walked through some very difficult seasons. Uh, she has lacked the help in the area of upkeep and preventative maintenance on her home and she owes, uh, that she owns that she and Ray purchased when they were together. In the last six to eight months, we have discovered that Elizabeth's living conditions are not safe and healthy to live in long term. 
After close evaluation, we came to the conclusion that the house that Elizabeth currently lives in is not salvageable. Elizabeth never once approached the church requesting help or assistance. So what and why? James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, being selfless and others focused. To look after the widows that God has placed in our congregation. Elizabeth, a widow that is faithful in attending, faithful in serving, and faithful in giving. So, what's the next step? Our leadership team, which is made up of our staff and elders, have decided to build Elizabeth a new home in 2024. We plan to partner with the Pitt State construction team uh, that will be basically uh, doing the whole build. We plan to break ground in spring, in the spring of 2024. Uh, we plan for this to be a one-year project. And the current estimated total cost for this project is $110,000. Now, if you do the math, that may not line up. And the reason being is Pitt State will be offering all of the labor for free. So that has been a blessing already. We're asking you, the congregation, to take the next four weeks to ask God what he would have you give towards this missional effort. And you'll have two ways that you can invest. One is a Christmas offering, a one-time offering that we will receive uh, the middle of December, and we'll share more details about that coming up. And a one-year pledge to give on a, monthly on a monthly basis above and beyond your tithes and offerings in the year 2024. And I want to say that this is a sacrificial give. I plan to give more details on this project and directions in the next four weeks leading up to our Christmas offering. That will be on December 10th and the 17th. I'm excited for this opportunity as a church as a body of believers, to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to do what God is calling us to do as a church. I'll end with this. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothing and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accept, uh, accompanied by actions, is dead. So I ask you, congregation, to pray as we unfold the next steps and to ask God what he would have you do and how he would use you as a conduit to bless Elizabeth in 2024. Can you join me as we pray for this? And then we'll transition to our message. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for the way that you want to use us as a church and how you want to influence and impact um, just 
not just Elizabeth, but every person that is going to be a part of this project. I pray for the community of Frontenac where this house is going to be built. I pray that, Father, I believe that you're going to use this as a beacon of light to uh, draw people to your love. I pray that you're going to use this to impact Elizabeth's life, and I pray that you're going to use this to impact our lives, to grow in faith, uh, to grow in obedience, to grow in uh, trusting in you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, through all of this, that you would teach us, that you would show us, and that through all of this, that your name will be glorified. So I pray that you go before us, that you would lead our footsteps, that you would give us wisdom, discernment, and direction as we take the next steps in obedience with you. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, you guys ready for God's word this morning? Good, good. So today we'll be wrapping up this series talking about did God really say, and we've been uh, talking about the areas that the enemy comes with his deceptive ideas, and we've talked about the flesh, and we've talked about the world, and we're, we're kind of camping in the area of the world, and uh, last week we talked about the three temptations of uh, the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And we talked about how when we live in this world, when we live in this world, these temptations are constantly crouching at our doorstep daily that are trying to bring us down, that are trying to trip us up, and are trying to cause us to sin. Um, and, and we talked about how it is Jesus who is able to tear away. Last week we looked at it to pull away the things that have kind of taken a hold of us, the clothing of this world that has taken a hold of us. Jesus is wanting to take it away and set us free so that we may live a life called out, set apart to be able to accomplish uh, what he is calling us, his mission and his vision for our lives, and also to experience the goodness of God in our lives. And we can experience that if we have these things uh, holding us down. So this morning, I want to talk about a topic called the remnant. The remnant. And uh, we'll get to that in here at the, at the end of the message. But um, I want to look at two spaces. And we've already looked at the one space, which is the world. That's a space. But I also want to look at a different space called the church. Okay? The church. And... Uh, um, God is calling us out of this world. He's calling us out of this world to be set apart as God's people, to be set apart, to be influenced by Christ, to be transformed by Christ so that we may experience his goodness, his faithfulness, that we may be a holy people. He's calling us out of this world to set us apart, to send us back into the world to influence this world, to transform this world, to change this world. I look at my life and I, and I, and I remember coming to the U.S. and, uh, man, I had all the freedom because now I, I was here by myself. <laughs> and that's a bad thing in a college town. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so I remember after about uh, six months, I, uh, I was invited to come play rugby at Pitt State, and that's another bad thing to do. Uh, no, it was all oh, so fun. Um, but um, I had a different lifestyle. I had a different uh, vocabulary. <laughs> I uh, consumed 
uh, alcohol that was unhealthy for me. And I was uh, doing life in a way that was unhealthy. I was living in the world and experiencing the goodness of this world. And I was telling myself, man, this is so good. Till one day, it started to get at me. And I was kind of living day to day and, and, and making choices that were not healthy. Uh, and man, making con- uh, uh, I was cons- uh, consuming and, and purchasing things. And man, I had so much debt on my credit card. And uh, it was such a mess. And then one day, God put his hand on me and pulled me out of that, and he said, hey, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you. I'm pulling you out of the miry clay is what God's word says, and I'm setting you on a solid foundation. And then he started the work of transformation in my life, and he started the work of change in my life. He started to rip away, to tear away, to pull back, to remove the things of this world, the garments of this world. And he started to expose me to his love and his grace, and he started to show me what he had for my life. I was headed in this direction, and he shifted my direction. And today I am here, (laughs) and if you had asked me when I first came to the U.S. if I would be preaching at a church, I would have laughed at you. (laughs) That was the furthest thing on my mind. I was telling somebody the other day, um, if you had asked me as as a kid if I would be on stage speaking to people, I would have laughed because I couldn't speak in front of people. I would be in the restroom throwing up. And God has me <laughs> preaching to people. Not because of what I can do, but because of what he can do. And he's calling each one of us out of this world because he has a plan. So we look at the church. The church, there is this um, word, the Greek word is ekklesia. Ekklesia. Ecclesia in the New Testament, it refers to the church. It comes up, it's made up of these two words, ek, meaning out from and to. Out from and to. And then uh, kaleo, meaning to call, to call. The church is a group of people called out from, from one place to be sent to another place to be prepared so that they can influence the world. And I should have a graphic up here to help us kind of understand this. See, we live in this broken world, and God is constantly calling people out of this world. He's calling people out of this world. If he's calling you, he's calling you to a church, an ecclesia, a body of believers like this that we have right here, of followers of Jesus Christ that come together so that we can be set apart, so that we can be sanctified, so that we can be transformed, so that we can then be sent out to bring hope and create a beautiful resistance and create this beauty in our world (laughs) to bring light into a dark place he's calling each and every one of us to do that calling us out to be a remnant for him so let's look at God's word and, and unpack this Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through 22 so now 
you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. So now, you Gentiles, which means you people, Paul is talking to the people that were outside of God's plan, outside of God's will, out doing the things of this world, and just living their life in lustful living. And, and, and he's saying, now uh, God has called you, and you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Now, so to think about that, strangers and foreigners. <laughs> that means when we live in this world, we are strangers and foreigners to God's world. Okay? Because we're living in this world. This is, not God, this is not the world that God is calling us to live in. He's calling us out of this world. And then he goes on to say, you are citizens. Citizens. Not citizens of this world. You are not, you're strangers and foreigners before, but now you're citizens because you are citizens of what? God's world. God's world. You are citizens along with all of God's Holy people. God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, together, we are His house, built on a foundation of apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. I want to go back to that. You are a holy people. We are a holy people. And I, and I want that to settle and for us to process that for a little bit. What does it mean to be a holy people? To be holy but live in this world. But he's saying you're a, you are citizens along with God's holy people. And then he goes on to say, we are carefully joined together in him. There's a scripture that talks about he is the vine, we are the branches. We are joined together, carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of His dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. So, before I unpack this, just, just, just picture this with me for a minute. Think about this for yourself. I think we live in this world and we think, oh, God is this distant being that is far away and I'm just going to live my life. What would it be or how would you act differently or what would change in your life if God was living right next to you in your life? How would that change? What would that look like? What things will need to leave? <laughs> what behaviors and habits would need to change? What will we run and hide from? Because, man, God's here. Like, uh, how many of you know, like, man, somebody just called and said they're coming. Guys, open the closet. Shove all that stuff in there. Hey, clean the, throw the clothes in the laundry. You guys do that? Or oh, it's just our house. Maybe it's just our house. 
Hey, guess what? God's coming today. This afternoon, He's coming for lunch. A holy people, a holy temple of the Lord. Together we are His house, a holy people, a body of believers called out, set apart. And see, when we follow Jesus together, when we follow Jesus together as a body of believers, when we follow Jesus together as a community of believers, an ecclesia, we can then, and we'll have this graphic up there just to remind you of uh, what we've been talking about, the three stages. When we live together in an ecclesia, when we, we are a body of believers coming together with Jesus Christ, we can discern Jesus' truth from the devil's deceptive lies. We get to learn the truth, and we get to know, oh, here's the truth. That is a lie from the devil. We get to help each other override our fleshly desires by the Spirit power to live out the Spirit's desire. So we don't live in the fleshly disordered desires because we're a body of believers living together in a community, a holy temple, helping each other when we fall, picking us up and saying, hey, that's a fleshly desire. Let's stop living there. And let's start living the Spirit's desires in our lives. And when we do that, we form a robust community of deep relationships that function as a counterculture to the sinful society, a counterculture to the sinful world. God knew what he was doing when he created the church and called us out to live a life set apart. See, when we do this, in doing this, when we live like that, we can overcome the gravitational pull of the three enemies of the soul, the three enemies of the soul. Be a light and a source of hope to a dark and lost world. We get transformed, and we're constantly in the transformation process, but then we come back in, and God uses us to be the hope and the light unto a dark world that is dying because they're believing a lie. John Tyson calls this a beautiful resistance. I like how he says it's a beautiful resistance. It's a resistance, but there is beauty in it because there's beauty that is created out of that resistance. A, a sweet aroma of Christ that starts to penetrate through the darkness and starts to, uh, to change our atmosphere. When we look at our current culture, there are two key aspects that are important to becoming a church for the times that we live in, which is to have that beautiful resistance. We need to live, and we share this, but I think it's important for us to understand this. We need to live as a church that is sharing the truth and giving grace where we have 100% truth that is being shared, but also living with 100% grace. This is what Jesus did when he was here on this earth. He shared the truth, but he lived with grace. Do people know what the truth is? Do people that live around you, the people that interact with you, the people that hang out with you, do they know the truth? Do you know the truth? 
because the truth will set us free. And that has been our anchor verse for this whole series. We need to know the truth. The truth is found in God's word. The truth is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The truth is found when we submit to the spirit and the spirit starts to live inside of and, and starts to work the transformation process. God reveals truth to us. Our eyes are open to the truth. And then we realize the change. And then we bring that truth to a dark and lost world. But we do that with grace. We do that with grace. We don't fight the person, but we fight the sin. There may be somebody in your life that is living a life that is not honoring to God. Their body has in them the sin that has been planted in there. We fight the sin and not the person. We bring the truth to the person and we show them grace so that the truth can set them free. So let's look at the church. The church, which is you and me, a community of deep relational ties, a community of deep relational ties in a culture of individualism and isolation. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 and then 21. Together we are his house. Together we are his house. We're not, we can't be together if we are not here on a weekly basis. We can't be together if we are not connected in life group. We can't be together if we don't serve as a team. We can't be together. There's no togetherness if we don't show up. And it says we are carefully joined together in him. There are too many things that are pulling us apart from being together. I shared this last week. The stats right now is, oh man, if I show up to church once a month, I'm good. Checkbox. Well, we can't be together. There's no togetherness. There's no community when we don't show up because God created the church to be interdependent. We are better together. We were created for community. There is help in community. And when we do that, we're able to live counter culture to this world with beautiful resistance. The world that we live in today, our culture that we live in today is not about together. It's about independence. It's about isolation. They use statements like, you do you. Keep your laws off my body. <laughs> Don't trend on, tread on me. Live the good life. Be independent. Enjoy yourself. As a called out people, as a called out people, as a set apart people, as a church, as an ecclesia, we must choose on our own free will to live, live lives that are deeply interdependent in our relationships. This past Friday, I was watching uh, CNN and I, they, they shared this and it, it shocked me because I was just preparing for this message. In the state of New York, they just appointed ambassadors for loneliness. In the state of New York, they just appointed ambassadors for loneliness. I wonder why. Is it because we are 
independent, do what I want to do, live your life, just go do your thing, and we're not interdependent. We need to be interdependent. The reason we need each other to help each other, to pick each other up when we fall, to encourage each other when we are down, to build each other up in our faith, to hold each other accountable to the truth because we are constantly living in a world of lies to help each other fight off the gravitational pull of the enemy and the work of the devil. This is counter to the way that our world and our culture operates, which is in independence. That has no boundaries to, what, uh, to do what I choose when I choose to with no accountability. No limits or restraints. Simply acting out and living out my fleshly desires because I want to be happy. Be happy. Have fun. Enjoy life. That doesn't line up with the world of God and the word of God. You and I, we are called out people to live interdependent lives in Christ. In Christ. Christ is the cornerstone. He is uh, the vine. We are the branches. And by being, by being in Christ and receiving His grace, we can live freely. And when we do that, we're able to live with a beautiful resistance to this world, which in turn starts to transform this world. We don't have to be quiet about our faith. We don't have to be quiet about the truth. We can kindly and politely share where we stand and why we believe what we believe. It's a beautiful resistance that God is calling us to share. Secondly, a church, a community of holiness in a culture of hedonism. Holiness. Ephesians 2, 21, become a holy temple for the Lord. Become a holy temple for the Lord. What does that mean? That means where God comes and lives inside of your body. <laughs> See, before Christ, the temple in the Old Testament, before Jesus referred to a physical building, first it was a tabernacle in Exodus, and then it became a temple in Jerusalem. And we see what happened is there was this temple that was built for, and there was this holy of holy uh, space where only the high priest was allowed to walk into after, pure, uh, after offering all kinds of sacrifices for himself and for the people. And, and he was kind of the mediator that walked into this holy of holy place where the presence of God resided before Jesus in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temple. Then Jesus showed up into the picture because he said, you know what, the sacrificial system is broken and I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice. And he shows up and he goes to the cross and he dies on that cross. And the day that he dies on that cross, that holy of holy space was now open through Jesus Christ to have free access where we get to come to the Father. But then Jesus said, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, my spirit that is going to come and live in you. 
And when we receive Jesus Christ into our hearts, when we receive Jesus Christ, when we, we uh, take the step of obedience in water baptism, we are being set apart and called out, and the Holy Spirit comes, and He lives inside of us, and we become a holy temple. The, the residence for the presence of God. I don't know about you, but man, that kind of should cause us to stop and think how we live. If I am living the way I lived after I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I'm supposed to be living differently, and when I accept Jesus Christ, God comes and takes residence. I'm in a holy temple, but I'm still living the way I did, or maybe still living in this world. Maybe I should stop and think about that. So keeping that as a backdrop, uh, and, and here's something, I'm, I'm not preaching this for people that are lost in Christ, because man, you know what, they're lost in Christ, they need to find Christ, but I'm preaching this more for people that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but we live where today our body is just an object, where sex is just play for grown-ups, where gender is just plumbing. Our bodies are a holy temple. They're not objects. I've heard this statement, and I, I don't want to use it as a, as a means of shock, but this is the world we live in. This is what people are, are, are talking and, and sharing. I need to have sex with my partner before I get married. If not, how would I know if it's going to be good? So I ask the question, when and how did our bodies become like cars in a car lot? Where I can test drive it and buy it if I like it or leave it and move on to uh, another car. Our bodies are holy temples, not objects to be used. They are holy we must choose to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And that is a daily, daily submitting. A holy temple, Christ in us. Ephesians, the passage we read, it said, God lives by His Spirit in us. If we live a different life in secret, God still lives in that secret place. He still lives in that secret place because He's everywhere. He's with us. We are a holy temple called out and set apart. God wants so much for you and me. And the reason I think that we don't see what God wants for you and me, the reason that we don't experience the proximity of God, the reason we don't experience the amazing beauty of God, the reason our eyes are blinded and we can't see and we can't hear God's word is because we have the sin life in us that is preventing us from our bodies being a holy temple where God wants to truly live inside of us. It's the sin nature that we have to die to daily. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually a part of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Now, I know he's using the word prostitute here in the sense of prostitute and sex, but think of anything that we join our bodies to that are not pleasing to God. Think of anything that maybe we are joining our bodies that is not pleasing to God. Join it to a prostitute. Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scripture says the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. You're called out and set apart. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. You and I are called out people, a chosen people in Christ by grace, so freely offered and challenged to live in beautiful resistance with truth and grace to this culture, not conforming to the patterns of this world. If we choose to be chosen by living out the ways of Jesus and the ways of life, God is wanting to set us apart as his remnant by his grace. God is wanting to set us apart as his remnant by his grace. Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs said it this way, who he refers to the church as a creative minority. He said, to become a creative minority is not easy because it involves maintaining strong links with the outside world while staying true to your faith, seeking not merely to keep the sacred flame burning, but also to transform the larger society for which you are a part of. What Sachs calls a creative minority, the Bible calls it a remnant. A remnant, a chosen people, a called out sect to go transform this world. The remnant is labeled or used throughout the scripture for a small group inside Israel. Now the church that was loyal to God when the majority of people were not. The remnant of Israel. Romans chapter 11, verses 3. Don't you know that scripture says in the passage about Elijah, and here is Elijah, he's appealing to God because God's people are rejecting him and, and are doing the wrong things. How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? 
I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed a knee to Baal. Not bowed a knee to this culture, to this world. And he goes on to say, so too, at the present time, at the present time, today in us, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Guys, I hope you understand the magnitude of that. You and I are a remnant chosen by God to live a life set apart, not to sell it to this world. One Peter chapter two verse nine. But you are not like that. We're settling. We're settling. You're not like that. Here is what God's description is for his remnant. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest. A holy nation. God's very own possession. What are you selling yourself to? God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. What a privilege. For he called you out of darkness into a wonderful light. My question to you this morning, will you be that remnant? Will you be set apart? Will you step out of this world and start God transforming you? Let God start transforming you? Will you? I want to end with this passage. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. I am coming soon, says Jesus. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make pillars in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is the word of the Lord. Be a remnant. Live a called out life. Surrendered to Him. This morning, 